Hello and welcome to ABC Storytime, where we tell Chinese stories to all of the non-Chinese speakers. I'm Mengxia, and tonight I'm drinking jiaozitang, which is the water you've boiled dumplings in. Growing up, my family called it dishwater, siwan shui. And I'm Sean. I'm drinking regular old water. Today, we're starting Chapter 6 of Journey to the West by Wu Chenlin, translated and adapted by Mengxia. Last time on Journey to the West, the Heavenly Army returned to lay siege on Hua Guoshan. A full day's war ended with Sun Wukong defeating Ne Jia and the Four Heavenly Kings with his cloning ninjutsu. Let's find out what happens when morning arrives. As the Heavenly Army laid siege to Hua Guoshan, the Goddess of Mercy, Guan Yin Pusa, arrived at the turquoise pool with her disciple, Hui An, to attend the Immortal Peach Festival. She found the banquet hall in chaos and the immortal guests milling about. After the mortals had told her what had happened, Guanyin said, Since there is no banquet and no celebration, I would be glad if you would all accompany this poor monk to go see the Jade Emperor. The mortals gladly agreed. Master Tu Hongzi announced the arrival of the Baditsava, and she entered the Palace of Transcendence. Laozi and the Queen Mother were both in attendance. The Baditsava and the assembly paid their respects to the Jade Emperor, greeted the old Taoist and the Queen Mother, and seated themselves. What has happened to the Immortal Peach Festival? The Baditsava asked. The Jade Emperor said, The festival is usually a joyful affair, but the chaos caused by that Yao monkey has turned this year's festival into an invitation to disappointment. From whence did the Yao monkey come? Guanyin asked. The Jade Emperor said, The Yao monkey was born from a stone on Huaguosan, from the kingdom of Aolai of the eastern continent. At the time of his birth, we saw a ray of golden light pierce heaven. We did not think much of it at first, but he cultivated his spirit, vanquished tigers and dragons, and erased his name from hell's records. The dragon king and the king of hell reported these events to me. I intended to capture him at that time, but the evening star presented a suggestion. He said that, within the three realms, of those beings with nine orifices, very few can achieve immortality. In the spirit of educating one with such abilities, I invited him up to heaven and appointed him as the horse's fortune of the imperial stables. The troublemaker resented the low rank of the office and left heaven. I sent Lord Li and Prince Noza to capture him, then pardoned him, invited him to heaven, and appointed him as great sage equal to heaven. It was a post without salary, but because he had no responsibilities, he was wandering around everywhere. I feared he would make some trouble, so I appointed him overseer of the immortal peach orchard. He, again, did not respect the law and stole and ate all of the peaches of the ancient trees. Recently, this official with not even a salary found out he was not invited to the Immortal Peach Festival. He devised a scheme to hoodwink the barefoot immortal and take on his appearance to enter the festival in secret. He ate the immortal food and drink. Then he stole Lao Tzu's golden pearls to enjoy with the monkeys in his mountain nest. That is why I am uneasy. I have sent a hundred thousand heavenly soldiers with a cosmic net to capture him. I have had no reports today and do not know whether my troops have been victorious or vanquished. When Guanyin Pusa heard this, she said to her disciple Hui An, Go down quickly to Hua Guoshan and assess the situation. If the army has met its match, you may lend a hand. Bring back news of the situation. 
Hui'an straightened his clothes, took his iron baton, and rode his cloud down to the mountain. He saw layer upon layer of cosmic net. The camp was thick with soldiers and generals carrying out their orders. Hui'an stopped before the camp and called out, Guards of the camp, please carry a message. I am the second son of Lord Li, Mu Jia, the eldest disciple of the Bodhisattva Guanyin, Hui An, here to assess the military situation. The spirits of the five sacred mountains guarding the camp immediately carried the message through the general's gate. More mortals then passed the message into the commander's tent. Around dawn, Lord Li gave the command to lift the cosmic net and admit Hui An. Hui An followed the standard bearer into the camp and presented himself before Lord Li and the four heavenly kings. My child, who has sent you? Lord Li asked after the proper bows had been performed. Hui An replied, Your servant accompanied Guanyin Pusa to attend the Immortal Peach Festival. The Bodhisattva saw that the festival was ruined and the Jade Pool desolate, and so took the immortals and your servant to see the Jade Emperor. The Emperor said that my lord father and the troops had descended to the mortal world to capture a Yao monkey, and that no report had come for a day, so the Bodhisattva sent your servant to come and understand the situation. Lord Li replied, Yesterday we arrived and pitched our camps here, and sent the nine heavenly bodies into battle. But the criminal worked some powerful magic, and the nine heavenly bodies returned defeated. Afterwards, we personally led our troops into battle. He also sent out his troops. Our hundred thousand troops battled his until evening, but he worked a magic of dividing the body and retreated. When we returned to camp and assessed, we found we had captured some wolves, insects, tigers, and such, but had not captured a single Yao monkey. Today, we have not yet commenced battle. As they finished conversing, another report came in through the general's gate. The great sage and a crowd of monkey demons are shouting outside the camp. As the four heavenly kings, Lord Li and Prince Noja, began to discuss the dispatch of troops, Muja spoke. Lord Father, the Bodhisattva instructed your servant to come investigate the situation, but also bid me offer my aid if it came to wartime. Your servant wishes to go and see what manner of great sage this is. My child, I know you have grown in power in the years you have studied under the Bodhisattva. But you must still take care. That prince, wielding his iron batons, he straightened his clothing and jumped through the gate with a shout of, Which one of you is the great sage equaling heaven? The great sage raised his will-abiding staff and called back, That would be old Swin. Who are you that dares challenge me? I am the second son of Lord Li, Prince Muja, disciple of the Bodhisattva Guanyin, now called Hui An. Why are you here looking for me instead of cultivating yourself at the South Sea? I have been sent by my master to assess the military situation. After seeing you run rampant in this way, I have come to capture you especially. What big talk. Don't go anywhere. Have a taste of my staff. Muja didn't fear this in the least, and like lightning met the staff with his iron rod. These two met in battle halfway up the mountain, outside the military encampment. The errant immortal called Great Sage faced the righteous disciple of Guan Yin. The iron batons, having faced a thousand battles, were forged by the power of twelve heavenly gods. The will-abiding staff was the ocean's treasure, sent by the Milky Way to anchor the waters. The two found a true match in the other, testing countless skills against each other. The batons jabbed about the waist swiftly as the wind. The spear-like staff parried right and left, exactly in rhythm. On the one side, banners flashed. On the other side, war chimes tolled. Ten thousand heavenly generals surrounded the melee, a cave full of yell monkeys crowded around. 
Strange mist crept across the underworld. Hostile smoke filled the palaces of heaven. The previous morning's battle was something to behold. This morning's battle was still more vicious. The great sage and Hui An battled for 60 rounds until Hui An's arms were so sore and numb he could not defend against the staff. With one last feint, he retreated. The great sage recalled the monkey troops and stationed them outside the mouth of the cave. Outside the heavenly soldiers' camp, the soldiers and generals bore the prince through the gate to the four heavenly kings, Lord Li and Noja. A great sage indeed, a great sage indeed, said an out-of-breath Muja. He is indeed a formidable foe. This child cannot defeat him and have returned defeated. Lord Li trembled at the sight. He commanded a request for aid, drafted, and sent the strong demon king and Prince Muja up to heaven with the report. These two didn't dare tarry. They rushed past the cosmic net and mounted their flying clouds. They went directly to the Palace of Transcendence, saw the four celestial masters who led them to Lingxiao Palace to present the report. Hui An presented himself before his Bodhisattva master. The Bodhisattva said, What was the result of your investigation? Hui An replied, I went to Huaguoshan as ordered, entered the layers of cosmic net, saw my father, and conveyed my master's will. My lord father said, Yesterday we battled that monkey king and captured only those tigers, leopards, lions, elephants, and such, but did not capture a single monkey demon. As we were talking, he came with a challenge, and your disciple battled with him sixty rounds with the iron rod. I could not defeat him and retreated to the camp. Father then sent the strong demon king and this disciple up to heaven for aid. The Bodhisattva considered this carefully. The Jade Emperor read the report, saw the call for additional troops, and laughed. How ridiculous! How powerful can this monkey be that he can defeat a hundred thousand troops? Lord Li is again calling for aid, but who can we send to aid him? Before he finished speaking, Guan Yin pressed her hands together to speak. Take comfort, your majesty. This humble monk would like to suggest an immortal who could capture this monkey. Which immortal would that be? Your Majesty's nephew, Immortal Master Arlong, currently residing at the mouth of the Guan River, enjoying the fragrant incense from below. In the past, he has captured six demons and has under his command the Plum Mountain Brothers and 1,200 irregular infantry, all with great power. His only fault is that he obeys military summons and ignores proclamations. Your Majesty could issue a military decree to ask for his aid and capture this monkey. The Jade Emperor immediately issued a military decree and sent the strong demon king to deliver the message. We just read for you the first half of chapter 6. And this was the chapter where we first got introduced to Guan Ying, mm -hmm. who will be a major reoccurring character going forward. Yeah, and I just want to put a translation note. I refer to her as Guan Yin Pusa, Pusa is the Chinese word for Bodhisattva. And so I kind of use Pusa and Bodhisattva interchangeably in this translation because I'm so used to hearing Guan Yin Pusa as like her full name that I can't just be like the Bodhisattva Guan Yin all the time. Okay, have we explained what a Bodhisattva is yet? Should we do that? I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, well, okay. Yes, in our relatively layman's understanding <laughs> we suck <laughs> at buddhism yeah not buddhist not mm, very limited exposure to buddhism honestly like i feel like my main exposure to buddhism is first this story 
and like I visited some Buddhist temples in China previously, but I've never like taken part in a service or like I don't have any friends who are Buddhist who have like explained their faith to me. And mm. so it's very much like an outsider's view. Yeah, I think for me, it's pretty similar, like very fleeting experiences. When I was younger, I will say my, I think my Gongwon Popo were practicing Buddhists. I don't know how seriously they practiced, but I think that's what my mom told me. And then what I got was just my mom saying that there were certain things about her seeing her mom and dad practicing Buddhism that she appreciated. Not that she'd actually practiced herself. What was it that she appreciated about it? I don't even remember. Okay. Like, that's how fleeting it is. Okay. My memory of this. So there was that when I was younger. More recently, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is one of my favorite games, features a lot of Buddhist iconography. Okay, so before we get into that, let me just read the definition of bodhisattva from Wikipedia. Also, we're going to say bodhisattva and bodhisattva like interchangeably. I don't actually know which one's the correct one. I think it's bodhisattva. I looked it up before we recorded the story. Okay. Um, Okay, so it says, in Buddhism, a bodhisattva is a person who is on the path toward Buddhahood. So that's very vague. It doesn't say like how far down that path you have to be to be considered a bodhisattva. But Guanyin is very, I would probably say that Guanyin is the most well-known bodhisattva, at least in East Asian Buddhism and mythology. Guanyin has been kind of like adopted and he slash she is like, I'll I'll get back to that in a second, but Guanyin's been sort of like adopted into the local folk religion. Mm -hmm. Just like you see in the story. She's interacting with, you know, the Jade Emperor, who's not a Buddhist figure. She's interacting with Taoists, Laozi, for example. And she's just, I mean, she still represents Buddhism as far as the story is concerned. But she's almost become, like the, the Chinese version of her is almost become more of like a Chinese religious figure than a Buddhist religious figure. Yeah. And as far as pronouns, Guanyin is represented sometimes... Referred yeah. to as both, as either male or female? Yeah, so apparently, as far, like, in East Asia, before about the 12th century, Guanyin was predominantly portrayed as male. Mm-hmm. And then around the 12th century, you start to see more and more female representations of Guanyin. And so I've gone with a female representation here um, in COZ, because it was written after the 12th century, and also because... You know, a lot of modern representations of Xiaozi have female actors portraying Guanyin. But Guanyin, when I was reading up on Guanyin earlier, like they, um, whatever form is needed in order to like relieve someone from their suffering, they can become that form. And so the male slash female representation is kind of portraying that ability of Guanyin to take any form that they need to. Sure. So Guanyin has like a domain that they're responsible for and in in Guanyin's case it's like compassion and mercy mm-hmm. they're like the the god of compassion and mercy even though god's probably not the right term here but that's like the domain that Guanyin covers yeah the, the biggest parallel that i see in terms of how Guanyin is portrayed in china at least is like the chinese virgin mary yeah i was gonna say right like in buddhism the highest 
deities like the Buddha, right? Mm -hmm. And an analog in Christianity is like Jesus. Mm -hmm. But if you're like more of a Catholic, then you know the Virgin Mary plays much a much bigger role mm -hmm. in Catholicism than in other sects of Christianity. And and yeah, this kind of seems similar, right? Like Guanyin maybe. I mean, at least in this story in particular, Guanyin features way more prominently than the actual Buddha, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but also like I was kind of just thinking that like also that a lot of people who worship the Virgin Mary will have like little shrines to her in their garden mm. or in their house, and a lot of people do that with Guanyin as well. Like, if you see also the way that she's portrayed in sort of like the long robe and veil, and like she's got like a lot of maternal associations nowadays too. Mm. It kind of also has like the same vibe she's usually wearing white um um we still did not finish defining bodhisattva mm -hmm. right i think from what i've read of bodhisattva like yes it is someone who is like on the path to enlightenment and has not actually reached enlightenment yet but they're like generally like from all the examples i've seen they're very close mm -hmm. right they're like on the precipice i suppose mm -hmm. and they are almost like they're not going over that precipice into full enlightenment because you know they feel like there are they have obligations or they want to there's something that they want to like take care of and generally it's like bodhisattvas sorry i keep switching back and forth like whatever bodhisattvas like feel they have some kind of duty to help others mm-hmm and for some reason, if they step off the precipice into enlightenment, then they can't. Yeah. So I think it depends on like, there are different sects of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's like different definitions mm -hmm. of what a bodhisattva is. And so I don't know that we like necessarily need to get into it, but okay. mm -hmm. you're right in that like, it is someone who is very close. Like there's one sect that thinks that a bodhisattva has received confirmation or prediction from a living buddha that they will become a buddha oh okay so but, but see, it's also interesting because wukong he becomes a buddha oh at the very end yeah mm -hmm. so like wukong at the very end of this whole journey becomes a buddha but he does he is it ever implied that he like is at some point a bodhisattva and like takes the time to, I don't know, like, help others? Or does he just help others as a Buddha? So, okay. I don't actually know. I don't know the end of the story, like, the original novel, like, well enough to know how much they follow up on Wukong after he's a Buddha. Mm -hmm. um, he's worshipped as a Buddha in a lot of East Asia. Yeah. As he's the victorious fighting Buddha, the Doujian Shengfu. And... There's one story that is like part like folktale, part novel probably, called Bao Lian Deng. Yeah. Just the Lotus Lantern. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at, because you showed me like a movie of that. Mm -hmm. And he's in there. Yep. As a side character, as a supporting character. Yeah, he's like the, and he's the a Buddha figure. Yeah, and, and he like is in Buddha garb and like acts like a Buddha. <laughs> yeah, but they also make fun of him in that <laughs> saying that like, oh, now you're a Buddha. You're like, you know, not part of the cycle of reincarnation anymore. You're above it all. Like you feel like you don't need to help anyone anymore. So it yeah. kind of gives off the impression that like bodhisattvas are still involved. Right. 
with, you know, living beings who haven't decided yet whether they want to reach enlightenment. Whereas Buddhas are kind of like, they've been there, done that, they're done. Mm -hmm. But again, so like we said, we don't have like really any experience with Buddhism. The way this is all us talking out of our butts. Well, it's not that. It's like the way Buddhism is portrayed in Journey to the West mm -hmm. and in Lotus Lantern. And it may or may not have any relation to what Buddhism really is like today. Right. And but those are all our windows into Buddhism. It's all through. Right. And you don't know like how much Buddhism has changed over the last 600 years either. Sure. Right? Sure. Like recently I was listening to a Radio Lab episode in which um one of the producers Sindhu mentions that she's Buddhist and that she like goes to a monastery and she has a mentor there. Um I forgot what the title is exactly who is giving her advice on like this experiment that she's running in which she's trying to make more memories by doing novel things. And her mentor says, you know, another way to make memories is to just really pay attention. Yeah. And that is, you know, like I'm familiar with that as like a Buddhist emphasis, mm -hmm. but being present, being present, being, right? Living in the moment. But like, you don't see that kind of, philosophy being emphasized in journey to the west at all mm -hmm. i think honestly like journey to the west doesn't portray any of these philosophies particularly well or is least, it even trying to no i don't think so i think it's mostly trying to make fun of them all mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. like in a couple episodes bit of a spoiler guan yin and laozi are gonna get together and discuss which weapon to use against sun wukong mm -hmm. and so you have a buddhist and a taoist talking about violence. And I just thought that was just like very yeah. ironic. Yeah. If it was actually trying to be true to their characters and their religious philosophies, they would not, these right. characters would not be doing like, that. Or you have like the Buddha like insulting people. Oh. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> like it just, to me, it doesn't feel like something a real, I mean, I mean like obviously people who believe in various religions are still human and imperfect but the buddha you would think at least would not do that yeah it's funny um so going back to what i was talking about earlier which was another um another window that i've kind of gleaned buddhism through is sekiro which is a lot of buddhist iconography and themes Although we have to mention that it portrays all the monks as evil, and so it's also probably not trying to... I mean, in general, right, FromSoft games treat religion in a certain way, mm -hmm. right? Generally, the religion is a source of evil and corruption. I mean, that's pretty... I would say it's not just the FromSoft thing. Yeah, I that's think. not just the FromSoft That's a pretty thing. modern... Yeah. Like, take on... On religion in Pretty general. popular way to portray religion now. So Sekiro portrays a couple... Actually, a couple of bodhisattvas. Mm -hmm. um, so what I just found out as, as I was reading a bit about this is... Guanying in Japanese is called Kanon. 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 And um, one of the major boss fights in Sekiro happens in front of the biggest... Bodhisattva statue depicting Kanon in the game. And I'd always kind of wondered at the significance of that. Mm -hmm. 
Oh my god, how much do I want to spoil? Alright, there's, yeah, there's gonna be some spoilers for Sekiro. But, but also, like, if you know anything about Sekiro, and if you've watched any, like, trailers or gameplays, this is probably, like, the most spoiled, like, thing in the game, which is, like, one of the boss fights that you fight is this giant ape, who, once you beat it, the once you get its first health bar down, and you cut off its head, its headless body, like, resurrects. And there's, like, a bunch of themes of immortality in this game and how it's uh it's a very corrupting influence and Sekiro takes place in a land called Ashina which is I guess like a Japanese province in like I think it's like the 17th century or something it's totally fictional I, as far as I know and the thing going on in this game is that the waters of Ashina have been like have been tainted in the sense that anyone who drinks them actually gains immortality but it's an unholy kind of immortality because the way it works is it's been like filled with like immortal like parasites. Ew. <laughs> and so basically if you drink this immortality granting water, like a literally an immortal centipede like parasitizes inside your body. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. And I, as far as it's I remember. hookworm. Oh yeah, basically. And, and so this fight with this giant ape, okay, it's in a sunken valley. And so literally this is where all the water in the land pools. Mm -hmm. So this is the most concentrated like place of, of this tainted water. You go down there because you're looking for a special like flower, which grows where this pool is. Mm -hmm. So there's, I don't know, a lot of thematic imagery. Wait, there, what's the but... name of this area in Sekiro? I'm going to look it up. It's called the Bodhisattva Valley. Mm -hmm. And so literally, yeah, it's like a pool and you see... Guanyin or Canon's statue like overlooks this pool, this and in this pool, oh, actually, there's a yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of bodhisattvas, but like over the pool itself, there's like another giant statue, mm -hmm. and that's where the ape is. You go down, you fight this ape because he's guarding the flower, and you get his first life bar down, and you cut off his head, and you see his body's just lying there, headless, mm -hmm. and you think it's all good. And you start, well, you know, or whatever. And then his, his headless body gets up. You kill him again. And the second time you have to kill him, you literally have to, like, yank the freaking centipede Ew. out of his neck stump and kill it. <laughs> because that's the thing that was granting him immortality. Right? Anyway. Um, <laughs> all I have to say, right, like, it struck me that, that there was a giant bodhisattva statue overlooking this entire fight. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, why Why is this fight happening here? Like, again, this is the first time you encounter an immortal boss. And it's kind of like, what does Guanyin have to do with this? these themes of, like, tainted, corrupted immortality? Like, I have no idea. So, right? Guanyin, so the way she's portrayed, I'm pulling up a picture of, like, this very famous statue mm -hmm. of her. Famous in that it's huge, not because it's really old. Okay, so, because you see that she's already portrayed as a woman here. Mm -hmm. But in... In COZ, she's always holding this vase. And it's got like a willow branch sticking out of it. And it's full of pure water. Oh. Okay. And I think it's like the equivalent of like holy water. There's some powers associated with it. So when you were saying that like she's watching over this valley of tainted water, that's what I thought of. This is very much an inversion of like Wanyi's themes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess that makes some kind of sense. Um, it's very FromSoft. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, anyway, we just talked a whole bunch about bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas. And just, what little we know about them. Yeah. I'm going to really quickly mention Muja because Muja is in a lot of this part of the story. Yeah. There is. So Muja is the second son. With Noja being the... the third son. Okay. The first son is Jinja, gold mm. Ja. Okay. And so you, again, you notice that pattern of like they share the second character mm, in their yeah. name. Yeah. When we were reading the chapter, what I was reminded of most was during Mu Jia's fight with Wukong. And at least in your adaptation, mm-hmm. to me, it really evoked like with the two, the, the two stav, staves. Yeah. And how they almost seemed like twinned one another or like um, equals as yeah. far as power. Um, so I don't know if the two staves are actually like, are actually twins in some sense, but it really reminded me of. Harry and Voldemort's fight at the end of the f- of Harry Potter um, because a big thing there spoilers for Harry Potter but Harry and Voldemort's wands are twins as in 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 the in the books they each contain a feather from the same phoenix and so that there was like weird magic that goes on with with when the two of them clash and that played into the duel blah 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 right so i was just reminded of that Mm -hmm. that kind of equal power going on behind the two staves but so i think it's more that like the structure of this fight in the original text is almost like they tell it twice so first Mm. there's this whole poem section which is the fight that makes it seem like these two are very equal and it's because the poem has this parallel structure and then they almost like tell it again in prose and say wukong and muja battled for 60 rounds and then Muja's arms got so sore that he couldn't defend. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they're telling it twice. But I think, honestly, that the author is just doing it to make it seem like it's close. Okay, so what you're saying is it was not about the staves at all. It was, again, the structure of how this was fight was written. Right. And in how you adapted it, it to kind try of... try to keep the parallel structure. Okay. Yeah. But then I read that as, oh, are the, twin, are the staves twins? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really funny. So the the poem part of this fight scene goes like this. Gun sui dui gun tie ge yi. Bing zong jiao bin ren bu tong. Yige shi tai yi san xian hu da sheng. Yige shi guan yin tu di zheng yuan long. So you can see how like even in those four lines like you see like even if you don't know what any of the characters mean there's like a parallel rhythm. Yeah. Right? And you have one being like staff versus staff, but the steel is not the same. Warrior versus warrior, but the people aren't the same. So like each character in those two lines is matching up like a noun with a noun, a verb with a verb, Mm -hmm. like the word compare with a different word for compare. And then you have like the one is and then a description of Wukong and then the other is a description of Muja. And it's just like a very interesting structure when you read it in Chinese, but because English words aren't all single syllable words, it's almost impossible to translate that to have that rhythmic structure. Yeah, but I mean, that's true of generally, I think translating most poetry from one language to another, you can't. Yeah, you're like either preserving the structure or, or you're the, preserving meaning. the meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not really both. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a fun discussion. It's always a fun discussion when I get to talk about Sekiro. (laughs) 
All right. Bye. Bye. It was low and gravelly. This probably sounds right.